You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Linton Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Well, here we are, another edition of Closing the Distance, the opportunity we have at Roswell Presbyterian Church to kind of get behind the scenes, unpack a little bit of the message that was presented the day before. And so Jeff Myers is sharing with us again a new sermon series, which we started last week on prayer and some pretty specific prayers, prayers that have been kind of uh, integral, particularly to the Western Church for for generations. So tell us a little bit, uh, Jeff, as we get started about this sermon series and why this sermon series, why this the need for this sermon series now, and then we'll unpack kind of this, this prayer from yesterday. Yeah, uh, so I think, uh, you know, I think Lent as a time of preparation for Easter, as a time of discernment, self-reflection, I like it to be very practical. And, you know, we've done um, in the past the seven deadly sins. We've done um, uh, kind of the, the steps of the life of Jesus up to the cross. We've done various other fairly practical um, uh, series. But this year I was like, what have we not done? And then I think uh, maybe Lindsay had mentioned, you know, what about prayers? And I was like, that would be really fun to pick out seven mm. great prayers of the church that people could use in their own life. They're each very different, praying about different topics in different ways. And I like to think of, I like to get feel practices of faith. Like, why do we pray? Does it make a difference? Mm. Um, is it just self-expression? Does it make a difference? Uh, if so, how? Uh, is it okay just to complain in prayer? Um, is it, you know, can we celebrate, you know, all these things. And so I, th- and I really enjoy it because I learn a lot for myself about my own right. prayer life and what I'm called to. And I find in thinking about prayer and reflecting on it, it makes me want to pray more. Nice. Good. So I noticed kind of an, as an aside, there's some other things that we've prepared at RPC for Lent that may be new to people. Like I was walking down the hallway underneath the main sanctuary and there's you know some pictures on the wall that are kind of prayer stations. And then there's a little labyrinth outside in, in the portico that's, you know, a means of prayer. So in addition to kind of thinking intellectually about these things, there's some some more pragmatic or practical, like here's a space you can do prayer and here's a way, something, you know, something visual that might help you in your prayer and all those kind of things, which is, again, fantastic. If we're going to center and focus on prayer during Lent, let's make it open and available to as many people as possible in as many different ways as possible. Because prayer, again, when we think of prayer, we often think have this very narrow view. But I mean, what's your view of, of prayer? Like, what is it? Does, what does it entail? And, and how can we pray when walking in a labyrinth? How is that different than praying looking at a, a beautiful image or, you know, the prayer that you talked about yesterday? I think Thomas Merton says um, uh, to pray is to pay loving attention. And I think that's a pretty helpful way maybe to think about it, that um, sometimes loving attention comes out for asking God for things. My friend is sick. Uh, um, would you heal them? 
sometimes it's out of gratitude. Thank you for, um, you know, the great dinner we had last night, the great vacation we had, whatever. Um, and sometimes it's meditation, meditative prayer, where I'm just remaining lovingly attentive to my own um, my own breath, my own presence, and God's presence with me. So I think uh, I like I like that definition because it encompasses a lot of different kinds of prayer. And you mentioned some of the practical tools that we've laid out from the right. prayer booklet. Um, our, we have a creative team that kind of comes up with a lot of these ideas and implements them. And then we've got artists who've, um, who've led uh, the creative arts ministries. So the visual art that's on uh, the main street hall and the prayer labyrinth. Um, you know, I'm not a guy that spent a lot of time in prayer labyrinths over my time, uh, nice. but I find it really interesting and kind of helpful and kind of, um, uh, a, a good way to shake up something of, of prayer life that might become, um, run of the mill, uh, too familiar. It's a way to say, oh, I'm going to become more attentive to God, God's presence and my own prayers as I walk through this labyrinth. Have nice. you done a lot of labyrinths in your day? <laughs> Are you trying to say that I'm old, Jeff? And you were around when someone first invented a labyrinth. Is that, is that the suggestion? <laughs> yeah, you may I, not remember. <laughs> you may be so old you don't remember some of those years. <laughs> I have done a few. Either. To be honest, I haven't taken. I haven't even seen the one outside uh, in, in the portico at RPC. But, yeah, I've seen a few of them in some pretty unique and cool settings. And the first time I saw one, I was like, well, what on earth is this for? But then, you know, as you, you look at it and they say, well, the, the issue, particularly in the Western world, is that we're just in a race to get somewhere. Right. And so prayer then is a means to an end. Mm -hmm. And the labyrinth is kind of a reminder that not necessarily like, where are you going? Nowhere. Mm -hmm. Right. But prayer, it's, it's the it's the journey. Right. And that's the relationship. And so it's kind right. of a, a spatial or visual a reminder of, you know, it's, it's not always a means to an end. Again, in our Western thinking, it's often like, OK, I do this and this and it equals this. And so if we approach prayer like that, sometimes that is prayer, but not all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that. Yeah. So it is interesting. And I understand like it's not it's not anything I go up. Oh, you know, it's you know, it's time for me to do a labyrinth. But if I do take the time to do it, it actually kind of changes your your thinking, slows you down a little bit. Because, again, you're not the first time I did one, to be honest, I was like, man, I got to get through this as quick as possible because I got something else to do. <laughs> like, kind of <laughs> <deep> purpose, right? <laughs> yeah, I hope this is a short, I hope this is a short labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Wow, I took a wrong turn back there. I, <laughs> I got to get out of here quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, that's that Western mentality that I have. Yeah. So not always the healthiest. So yesterday, you, you unpacked the serenity prayer. Now, the serenity prayer of all the prayers that we're talking about in this is, is probably the most modern or newest prayer. You know, it comes from the mid-20th century, mid-1900s. And it's pretty familiar to people. I mean, you've seen it in posters around the place. Anyone who's had, like you mentioned yesterday, anyone who's had any connection or any familiarity at all with AA, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous or anything like that, this is this is a prayer. So, again, you did a little bit yesterday, but just unpack a little bit more about where this prayer comes from and then 
you know, why it's, it's why you included it in, in our list of, of prayers that we're covering over these seven weeks. Reinhold Niebuhr, uh, German-American theologian, uh, was a pastor, Lutheran pastor in Detroit, worked at Union Seminary, uh, graced the cover of Time magazine in 1950, was a very famous intellectual, public intellectual, was very concerned about the fallenness and brokenness of the world and how to act ethically in the midst of it. Um, so I love the serenity prayer, at least that stanza that we used yesterday, because it helps make us dis a distinction between problems and dilemmas, problems that we can solve, dilemmas that we just have to live with. And so in our prayer life, we can say, God, help me to be at work to solve these problems in the world. But then also help me recognize that the world is broken. It's probably not going to be resolved anytime soon. So, Lord, how do I learn to live and follow you in the midst of the dilemmas of the world? And I think the serenity prayer does a great job analytically in differentiating the two, but also helping us enter in in a spiritual way to being uncomfortable or to be comfortable with uncomfortableness uh, mm -hmm. in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, that's challenging. Again, considering particularly the, the time in which he wrote the serenity prayer and, and kind of motivation for, for his writing. But some people might look at the serenity prayer as almost a giving up, like, you know, I'm not sure prayer does anything. So, you know, well, help me cope with, with, you know, things that can't change. And, you know, I guess, you know, if I, if I need to have some courage to do something, then I'm going to do it. And, but that, I don't think that was the, the reason that he wrote the prayer it wasn't him just kind of giving up on prayer or his faith altogether. So what would you say to people who say it's kind of a, a giving up or giving in to the brokenness of the world? Yeah, you raise, I mean, Dan, you raise one of the big objections to the prayer that or, that is out there, one of the criticisms. And I think in that stanza, he offers three kind of virtues that you have to cultivate in your life. Serenity. Okay serenity in the face of things you cannot change okay how do i find a sense of peace in the midst of a chaotic world courage okay this is the virtue that guarantees all others how do how do i act courageously a lot of people they say well it can't be changed it's not because um it can't be changed it's because they lack the courage to try to change it you know the, the willfulness to take on the powers that be and and third wisdom or practical wisdom the wisdom to know the difference. And oftentimes th wisdom we only experience through, or uh, we only gain through experience, life experience. And so we have to continue uh, to cultivate wisdom in our lives as we go through it. And hopefully it helps uh, bear out wisdom to di differentiate between um, the times we need serenity and the times we need to have courage. But I think you're absolutely right. Um, that it's, it's just a challenge. And, and Niebuhr was writing... At the time, uh, post -war, well, I mean, he was writing during World War II. Right. Uh, he was very critical of the Nazis. Um, he, uh, you know, during Vietnam, I think of the Cold War, was very active in those in those movements, and um, in a time of great cultural, uh, I don't know, I mean, I want to say evil conflict, and you know, there was a lot going on. And, and he couldn't control it. So I think 
that was his time and place. But I think we can take the um, the prayer for our own time and place and make sense of or and help and it can use it to help it make sense of our lives and how to follow Christ in the midst of right. complex situations. Him and his work, he was not someone who wrote this prayer and then was a passive observer to all these things, right? He was again, that was a thing. He, yeah, he had not given up and he says, All right, here's something that I disagree with, or here's something that I think needs to be changed, and was willing to to stand up to that and, and had the courage to do that, which again is not then a giving up or a giving in. Yeah. And he's like a really like if you like the Serenity Prayer, I would invite people to go check out maybe moral man immoral society um the nature and destiny of man i mean he just writes these these books with these impressive titles and his sentence structure and sentences are bold and provocative and pithy uh and they're i mean it's fun to read because it's just like boom 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 i mean he's just going along just like doo, 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 yeah doo. yeah and um and it's really fun uh and very interesting and like moral man in moral society he's saying you know in i'm put it his argument in a nutshell but he says you know humans can hope to act lovingly individually but societies and groups of people really struggle to act lovingly and they mm. can only hope to act with justice right and be just and so that's an interesting, and you know, it's a big argument. You can go and look, or one somebody can go read it and see if they agree or disagree. But I think it's a pretty, um, it's a challenging argument for folks who want societies and governments, let's say, to be uh, creatures of love. Um, and is that even possible? And he would he would challenge that conception. He would say, governments can only do justice; they really can't act with charity. Right. And so, um, yeah, people don't send me emails, send it to Niebuhr followers somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. So yesterday in your sermon, you, you used a personal example, a, a rather humorous one to kind of unpack the stages of this serenity prayer. But I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, we laugh at that and it's humorous, but it, it probably was not actually a situation where you were praying the serenity prayer. And felt like it was it was an it was an application that kind of helps people understand the different stages. But I wonder if you have and are willing to share like a personal like a, a more real example of this was a time in my life where this was a decision or this was a, a circumstance that I was in that the serenity prayer became something that that helped me through it or comprehend it or engage whatever it was. I think you know um, one of the you know, as a pastor, you know, I, you know, oftentimes, and I'm, I'm thinking not recently, but there have been times where I've been thrown into situations as, a, as in my role as a pastor that I felt deeply inadequate, inexperienced mm -hmm. and not qualified to be in, but yet people were looking to me to have something to say, have a word to, of prayer, a word of comfort. And the, I was like, this is the last place I want to be on earth. Like, right. like I, I'm I so ill-prepared. Right. But everybody's like, you're the guy who went to, you're the guy who went to seminary. You're the pastor. Or you're the one who has, you say something. I'm like, right. oh, no. <laughs> and I think like that's a time to pray for courage. That, mm. um, 
you know, and also serenity that I can't change it. I'm in this situation. I don't have all of the right answers, but hopefully I can say something that brings some comfort and some peace to a situation. And so those are the times I really feel like the serenity prayer has been um, important uh, for me. I would also say there have been some times where I've had to challenge individuals about things. And I felt like I was in a role, you know, I'm like anybody else. I like to be liked. I want people to like me. So I'm, I, I don't like to cause conflict and stuff like that. And, um, and, you know, there's been a few times where I've been called to say, oh, God, give me the courage, you know, to change the things I can that I'm called, whether it's my role um, in an organization, in a church, or as a, as a friend, as a human being that I'm called to go and challenge somebody um, for one reason or another. And that's, that does, has taken courage. And I've had to do, use a lot of prayer uh, to do that. And I think it's really helpful to name it. And, and then I think by asking for courage from God, it helps you temper going overboard. And it's like, it helps you find just hopefully the right word to say in the right moment. Excellent. Have you, like, have you used the serenity prayer in your own prayer life? Yeah, again, in, in similar kind of situations, usually, like you said, when I'm feeling like, oh, man, am I out of my depth right now? You know, that's, yeah. I think probably most pastors are just like, oh, dang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Particularly like doing hospital chaplaincy and that kind of stuff. I'm like, I'm, I'm you know, yeah, for yeah. sure. But in those kind of contexts where there is no simplistic or simple answers, somebody's grieving and you're like, okay, this circumstance is not changing. How can we, you know, help me comfort or whatever? And yeah, it's for sure. Interesting. It's funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So for those, and I probably not anyone listening to this podcast or or even who, you know, were in the sermon yesterday, but there are, there are some who would look at prayer as impractical, as kind of a waste of time. And yet you have started off when we started last week was with the Lord's prayer. But then with this prayer is in many ways, one of the more pragmatic of prayers, right? It's just kind of, okay, that, let me get down to doing what I need to do or accepting the things that I need to accept or, you know, and, and grant me the wisdom. And so for those who would, would argue that, you know, we talked about a prayer labyrinth, that, that all of prayer is a labyrinth. You're just kind of mindlessly going in circles and not accomplishing anything. This prayer kind of, suggest something completely different yeah and it really asks it's an internal prayer right it's um it's asking god to work on our heart our mind our soul our will our emotions internally to ourselves and therefore then we become an agent of change in the world or an agent of serenity in the world whereas like the lord's prayer we're asking god give me my daily bread you know um, all right for forgive my debts as I forgive my debtors. I mean, it's, it's much more God is kind of intervening um, outside of me. And I really see the, uh, the uh, serenity prayer is God's working inside my heart to change me so that I can do, be an agent of action in the world. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Good stuff. And I think we'll see a similar way um, in, uh, in this prayer that we're going to be studying this Sunday, uh, 
Francis of Assisi's Instrument of Peace prayer, which is a fantastic prayer. A lot of people may have read it again before. It's been around a while, attributed to St. Francis, but also about change me so that I can be an impact in the world, which is right. an interesting way to pray, right? You know, usually I think I'm asking God for things. Right. You know, get me a date for Friday night. Um, you know, I need a new car. Lord, um, you know, I, I've got the sniffles, you know, right. Lord, help my kids start obeying me, you know, like, and these, like the serenity prayer and the instrument of peace prayer are God change me so yeah. that I make an impact in the world, which I think is, right. I mean, a daunting and risky prayer, right? Yeah. <laughs> but much more other focused or outward looking than, than our often normal and quotes understanding or view of prayer. Yeah. Like the petitionary here's right, my right. Prayer, prayer concerns. We're going to go through them. Right. The wish list almost. And this is a little different. Sorry. Is it, are you preaching this week? I should know this, but I am. Yeah. yeah you are. It wasn't originally so, but because of scheduling and stuff like that, I'm, I am going to preach this Sunday. So anyone listening this week in, in preparation to St. Francis, what is it? I mean, where can we find this prayer or um, what are some questions that we should be digging into in advance of the sermon? Yes. So, I mean, you, it's in our prayer booklet that we were handing out after the service. I know we ran out again for the second Sunday. Oh, did we really? That's uh, great. Yeah. So you can come and get one on Sunday if you don't already have one. You can Google it and find it. There's, um, various versions of it so it may not the exact version that i'm going to use on sunday but in general you get the idea but right. i think it's um helpful for people maybe in preparation to think about the concept of peace p-e-a-c-e -E. um mm -hmm. and what and how would they define peace how would other people define peace how would their neighbors how would the man on the street define peace remember at jesus time we heard we could read about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Well, how was that peace achieved? And was it um, and was it a true peace? And I think that helps us get on the way to understanding and maybe re-understanding what peace is according uh, to what Christ has to say. Right. And again, jumping the gun a little bit, but the prayer coming up is make me an instrument of your peace. So it doesn't mean it's bringing peace to me necessarily. It might even bring stress or chaos as I'm an instrument mm -hmm. to bring about your peace, which is right. again, kind of a, a convoluted way of, of thinking about prayer. Yep. Well, uh, I'm gonna, now I'm going to steal that. Maybe, uh, hold on while I write that down. <laughs> ah, trying to help you out, Jeff. Well, Jeff, as the great Dan Christ once told me, <laughs> oh, I'll get a mention in a quote. That's pretty good. And, <laughs> As the newest author of InterVarsity Press. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, good. I appreciate this discussion, Jeff, and, and looking forward to the continuation of the sermon series. And we're hearing from different pastors. I know I mine is coming up in a few weeks. And who, what other of us are, are preaching? Is Carrie preaching this? You and me. Uh, Carrie, we bumped out because of some of her other commitments. All right. So okay. she'll, she'll be this summer. So, um now, why don't you say a word? Your book just got published. A lot of people don't know about it. We're going to do, we're going to highlight it coming up, but just give us the title, what it's about, uh, so folks can check it out. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, feel very privileged to have published a book called Church for Everyone. 
uh, and it's basically talking about uh, emerging generations with those under 40 and the what we call the multi-inclusive church. So recognizing that unintentionally in most circumstances, we in church communities, because of our own kind of likes and the, the way that we think things are meant to be in our, in our world, put up walls to people that are different from us. And yet in the emerging generation, those under 40, it's going to be the most diverse generation ever in the history of the Western world, both ethnically, in terms of gender, in terms of roles, in terms of political ideology, into all kinds of things. And so in every other aspect of their lives, they experience this diversity. And yet when they walk through the doors of a worship center, that's very rarely the case. And so they often look with sidewards glance at the church and go, I know who this Jesus was and what he he encouraged and promoted. And yet, why do I not see this reflected in in my church? And so it's just kind of ask some of those questions and then provides models, examples from different communities all over the world and says, you know, is this something that that you and your specific church community could could work to become? And we kind of believe that uh, it's it's God's one of God's desires for the church that it become more even more inclusive. I think so. That's what the book's about. It's my my wife started reading it last night, and I was like, "Oh, what do you think?" She says, "There's a lot of data in here." It's like, "Yeah, well, it's it gets it's not a difficult read." But, you know, initially in, in the front end, we're just trying to make a case. And then, um, right. yeah, exactly. but I did hear from a couple of people. There's one specific person in the church like, oh, this is going to be the, the new read for, for my small group. And I'm like, oh, well, OK, I <laughs> uh, <laughs> hope it goes well. But I'm excited about it. Uh, it's, awesome. yeah. We hope to do a Sunday school class in the fall um, open to anyone to just, again, read it together and unpack it and, and maybe discern what does that mean for RPC and our specific community and, and how can we put these things into practice. So yeah, I'm excited. And where, uh, where can people pick it up if they're interested? You know, I, online is the easiest place where everyone gets everything like Amazon or InterVarsity Press. I assume it's in Christian bookstores, but I, I haven't been to any in the Atlanta area to know. But I mean, InterVarsity is the largest Christian publisher in the in the world. And so I imagine they've kind of got it out everywhere. Yeah. Right? But I haven't been to a bookstore to actually see. Well, if anybody it. sees, goes to a Christian bookstore and sees it, take a picture. We'll give you yeah, a see this. Yeah. Uh, or uh, get to see Church for Everyone Out in the Wild by Dan Christ. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, we're yeah. proud of you. Look forward to hope to see you soon. All right. Thank you. See you, bud.